Our passage this morning is John chapter 19, verse 38 through to verse 42, the burial of Jesus, the burial of Jesus. In today's passage, we're introduced to a man whose name was Joseph. He sought and received permission from the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, to bury the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was not alone. He was with another man whose name was Nicodemus. We were first introduced to Nicodemus back in chapter 3. We're going to spend a bit of time looking at this passage and considering both Joseph and Nicodemus. First of all, let's have a look at John chapter 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Joseph was from Arimathea, which, according to Luke chapter 23, verse 51, was a city of the Jews. Incidentally, I will be making quite a few references to various other um, books, Luke, Mark, Matthew, I'm not expecting you to keep turning to them, but uh, this, what we're considering this morning is um, there are accounts in the, the other Gospel books as well and it's quite useful at times to, to refer to them. Joseph was no ordinary Jew. In verse 38, it is written that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus was in the world, there were true disciples that sat at his feet and they fed on his doctrine. But also there were counterfeit, fake disciples who fell away. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Things haven't really changed. Similarly, as we see in the churches nowadays, there are professing Christians who, by their fruit, they demonstrate uh, that they really are recipients of God's saving grace, And then there are others who eventually fall away, perhaps because of tribulation when it comes their way or perhaps perhaps they're lured away by by the riches of this world, the love of money. There's an example of disciples falling away in chapter 6 and verse 66 where it is written that from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That can only mean that they weren't real disciples. They weren't what we would say born-again Christians if they walked with him no more. On that occasion, they had heard Jesus declare himself to be the living bread that came down from heaven. They just heard Jesus say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Well, 
there were people who didn't really like hearing those things. They wanted to hear smooth things, things that made them feel good and fuzzy, nice and fuzzy. They didn't want to hear about eating the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, drinking, in, drinking his blood. Clearly, they did not like what they heard. They found it objectionable and intolerable and so they walked no more with Jesus. As a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph waited for the kingdom of God. We, we see that in Mark chapter 15 and verse 43. Now, as I'm saying these things, you've got to think to yourself, well, I'm a Christian, am I really waiting for the kingdom of God? Am I waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come again and, and, and for the kingdom of Christ to be seen in its fullness when he puts an end to this world and he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and so on. And are you someone who says, even so, come Lord Jesus. Are you looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We also learn that Joseph was a righteous man. That comes from Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. Being righteous, it means walking in all the commandments, all the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. According to Luke chapter 1 and verse 6. I wonder, do you do that? Would you dare say, well, that's a description of me walking in all the commandments of God, all his ordinances, blameless. That just about sums me up. I doubt it. No. The only way that you are ever going to do that is if you have a righteousness that is not your own. Joseph was a righteous man, but the righteousness he had was not his. It was given to him by someone else. As a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph was trusting in Jesus, who was perfectly obedient to God in life and in death, and Joseph's acceptance before God would forever be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, the only way that you, as a sinner, me as a sinner, will ever be able to stand holy, without blame, before God, as if we've walked in all his commandments, all his ordinances, is if you and I are clothed in the righteousness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, even though Joseph really was a genuine disciple of Jesus, he was a secret one for fear of the Jews, a secret disciple. But why all the secrecy and the fear? According to Mark chapter 15 and verse 43, Joseph was an honourable counsellor. What that means is that he was a member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and that would have made him a leader of the Jewish society, a leading figure in the Jewish community. It was members of the Sanhedrin who had convened and put the Lord Jesus Christ on trial after his arrest. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane and it was the Sanhedrin that handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 65, the following is written about the members, not necessarily all the members, but members of the Sanhedrin and their servants when Jesus was convicted of blasphemy upon his affirmation that he is the Christ, the Son of God. This is what happened after Jesus was convicted. Then some began to spit on him. You read it carefully, it's not just the servants, it's the members of the Sanhedrin as well. Some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Luke chapter 23 verse 51 tells us that Joseph had not consented to what happened to Jesus. I don't know, perhaps he wasn't even there. Maybe he made sure that he had something else to do when the Sanhedrin convened and they put Jesus on trial. And if he was there at the time, maybe he just made sure that he kept well out of the way, in the shadows, away from all the brutality that was taking place. But what we do know is that he did not consent to what happened to Jesus. Can you imagine the impossible position that Joseph would have been in? On the one hand, he was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's given to us. A disciple, a righteous man, a man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was for real not a fake Christian. On the other hand, he belonged to the very organisation that hated Jesus and they determined to destroy him. How do you live with that? He would no doubt have feared the Sanhedrin for the same reason that the parents of a certain blind man who received his sight from Jesus feared the Sanhedrin. In John chapter 9, verse 22, it is written of that the blind man's parents, they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, he was the Christ, he would put, be put out of the synagogue. So the blind man who had his sight restored by Jesus they didn't want to say anything because they were scared that they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. What does it mean to be kicked out of the synagogue? Well, you stand, or they stood to lose a lot if they, they were kicked out of the synagogue. As for Joseph, he stood to lose a lot if he came out of the closet and confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He would have risked being kicked out of the synagogue, just like the parents of the blind man, being cut off from the Jewish religion with all the disadvantages that that would have brought to him, such as loss of status and, perhaps most of all, financial loss. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, it is written that Joseph was rich. 
As such, he stood to lose a lot of money if he nailed his colours to the mast and showed himself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could have ruined him, I suppose. However, as we see in John chapter 19, verse 38, Joseph finally found the courage to come out of hiding. No longer was he a secret and fearful disciple of Jesus. It is written in Mark chapter 15 and verse 43 that he went in boldly unto Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He went in boldly. What was that boldness all about? Was it a... Was, it bold, was he bold because he went to see Pilate? I don't think so. It, would have not, it wouldn't have been a big deal really to go and see Pilate and um, to ask permission to take away a dead body and to, to bury the, a dead body. That wasn't the boldness. The boldness would have been more to do with him overcoming his fear of the Jews. Incidentally, Pilate was surprised to hear from Joseph that Jesus was already dead. In fact, Mark chapter 15 verse 45 tells us that Pilate checked with the centurion that Jesus really was dead. I said last week that... um, When the legs are broken, that hastened death, but it didn't bring about death immediately. Pilate had already given permission for the soldiers to break the legs of of the two thieves and, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't have known at the time that Jesus was already dead. He still didn't know that until Joseph came to him seeking permission to take away the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and he expressed surprise that Jesus was already dead even though in his mind Jesus had had his legs broken along with the two thieves it was very quick six hours and Jesus was dead but as has already been considered last week Jesus laid down his life Jesus gave up the ghost as the sacrificial lamb of God and he did that in his time not in the time that it would normally take but in God's time with Joseph coming forward and boldly asking Pilate for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to bury in his own tomb various Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled (coughs) we've seen a lot of this already haven't we prophecies being fulfilled Uh, so everything that happened at the cross it was according to God's plan a plan that was conceived in eternity and then written down in prophecy and then finally we see the fulfilment of it all at the cross for example in Psalm 16 and verse 10 it is written for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Had Joseph not come forward to bury the Lord Jesus, his body would simply have been disposed of, along with the two thieves, perhaps even being thrown into a fire. As it turned out, Jesus did not see corruption, his body was not burned, and according to 
Matthew chapter 27 and verse 60, he was placed in Joseph's own tomb. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after the crucifixion, the Apostle Peter referred to the prophecy in uh, Psalm 16 and verse 10 when he preached to the Jewish multitude that had gathered in Jerusalem. And he said to them that Jesus did not see corruption and that he has been raised up and highly exalted by God. Also there's Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9 in which it, it is written of Jesus, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. That word of prophecy was written about 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and now we see the rich man as being none other than Joseph of Arimathea who had stopped being a secret and fearful disciple of Jesus in order that prophecy might be fulfilled. Before we move on, consider this. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, made all things, he sustains all things, ultimately he owns all things. And yet, during his earthly ministry, he did not even have a place to call his own. He said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then, in death, Jesus didn't even have his own burial place. He was buried in Joseph's tomb. Let's move on with this. Verse 39 through to verse 42. We've looked at Joseph, but there, as I say, he wasn't alone. Verse 39. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. They t- they t- uh, then they t- sorry, then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulchre wherein was never man yet laid. And we know that that's the sepulchre, the tomb of Joseph. There lay they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews. Preparation day, it was the day before the Sabbath, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. As was said earlier, Nicodemus, we were first introduced to him in John chapter 3. He was another council member. It wasn't just Joseph who was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, he was as well. Nicodemus is described in chapter 3 and verse 1 as being a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night back in chapter 3, inquiring how it is that a man can be born again. It would seem that Nicodemus, the Pharisee and ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night for what? For fear of being seen with Jesus. He was another Joseph, 
fearful because of his standing and position in the Jewish community. However, by the time we get to chapter 7, we can see in verse 51 that how Nicodemus upbraided the Sanhedrin, which was already intent on destroying Jesus. And then finally, as can be seen here in chapter 19, Nicodemus assisted Joseph with the burial of Jesus. One of the commentators has said that like Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus came out into the light, but slowly, timid by nature, yet grace overcoming. Here is Nicodemus, the only one, apparently, who dared to help Joseph in the holy work of burying the Lord. How great the contrast between his conduct in John chapter 3, where he crept into the Lord's place of lodging under cover of night, and here, where he is not ashamed to openly show himself as one who loved the crucified Saviour. The value of his gift testifies to the greatness of his love. Joseph and Nicodemus had done what they could. That service done for Christ has never been forgotten. The names of these two men are written in scripture and the amount of weight of the spices that Nicodemus brought is likewise recorded. Service done to Christ or in his name is never by God forgotten. I don't know if coming out as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ meant career changes for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, but it certainly did for one of the Old Testament saints, Moses. He could have continued to enjoy an extremely pampered life, a privileged life as a prince of Egypt. Instead, when he came of age, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the Jews of old, the Israelites of old. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead to his reward. Moses was a man whose sight was fixed upon his Saviour, who would come into the world in the fullness of time, some 1500 years later, and one might reasonably say that Moses' treasures were stored up in heaven rather than on the earth. What about you? When you're in a public place, such as in a restaurant or in your school or works canteen, would you even dare to be seen giving thanks to God for the food that you're about to eat? And I'm not talking about making a big show of it, getting a prayer mat out and falling prostrate on a prayer mat or anything like that, but simply thanking God as you might do before tucking into a meal in your home. Or are you too scared that someone might see you giving thanks to God? In fact, do your workmates or your school friends even know that you're a Christian? Or people down the club that you go to, do they know you're a Christian? Have you, have you spoken to them about Jesus? Dear Christian, if the answer is no, then surely the time has come for you to come out of hiding, 
come out of the closet and step forward with a holy boldness as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. He said that in the context of true disciples being hated by all for his name's sake. Do people hate you because you're a Christian? And, they, and how is it they know you're a Christian? Because you confess Jesus before them. Are these things happening in your life? Furthermore, confessing Jesus should not just be heard as it proceeds from your mouth, but it should also be seen in Christian service to God and to your fellow man, in a born-again life which has lived for the glory of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross. With regard to the act of burying the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as if Old Testament prophecy had the names of Joseph and Nicodemus written on it. Two of the most unlikely disciples, given that they were both members of the Jewish council, who would have thought it that two members of the Sanhedrin would end up burying the Lord Jesus Christ? Similarly, dear Christian, in God's great plan, your name is written against the work for the Lord Jesus Christ if you confess him as your saviour from sin and as your Lord. As it is written in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I shall finish with some words from the hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey, forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye who are men, now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Amen.